Great to be with you again, church, and welcome to everyone who's watching across all of our platforms. We're so glad that you decided to worship with us this morning. My name is Tyler, and I'm the discipleship pastor here at Westview, and welcome to our continuation of our summer sermon series as we look at a number of these individuals that we find in Hebrews 11 who lived their lives out by faith. It certainly felt like summer here in Calgary this last week, and I hope that for whatever your plans are for this long weekend, that you've had a wonderful time enjoying this beautiful city of ours. Last week, we looked at perhaps what you would call, I would call, the least known or least understood character who is there within the Hebrews 11 story, this individual named Enoch that we read about in the Hall of Faith. If you were part of our outdoor service last week, that was a special moment. That was truly just an amazing experience for us to be able to gather here outdoors on our property, uh, to be able to worship, hear some announcements, to sit under God's word and his teaching. It was just a, a wonderful moment. And I pray that this morning is equally as special and significant to each one of you. This morning, we turn our attention to perhaps one of the most well-known individuals whose name is recorded here in Hebrews 11 in the Hall of Faith. This morning, we look at the person of Noah. But how much do we really know about this man? Pray with me, church, as we begin. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for this chance that we have to gather as the church in our homes to worship you. And I pray, Lord, as we continue in this series, looking at these individuals who lived their lives by faith, Lord, that it would inspire us to do the same. And I pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. I mean, when we think of Noah, how much of his story, how much of our understanding of his story is shaped perhaps by childhood Sunday school, if you grew up in the church? And how much of our understanding of Noah is actually based upon what the scriptures really teach, if we were to go a bit deeper? It's interesting to have Noah follow Enoch in this almost juxtaposition of these two individuals recorded here in Hebrews 11, going from someone so obscure to someone so familiar. But I think there's great intentionality with this and great similarities that you and I can observe as we'll spend a few moments this morning looking at this story of how did Noah truly live out his life by faith. I invite you this morning, if you haven't already downloaded the sermon notes on our website, uh, hit pause on the video. You're welcome to download those. They're a great way of being able to engage further in the scriptures, in the story, as we proceed this morning. If you've got your Bibles, I invite you to open them up, to turn them on to Hebrews chapter 11. This morning, we're going to be in verse 7 of chapter 11. Let me read it for us. It'll be on the screen. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark. To save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. You see, the author of Hebrews gives high praise for Noah and likely had no question of whether to include him or not in this hall of faith in chapter 11. And while the author of Hebrews was likely well aware of Noah and the many factors that would merit his inclusion in this list, I think for yours and my sake, we should probably spend a few moments this morning understanding Noah 
And that's our first point this morning. I find it fitting that I had preached last week's sermon, and, and I'm preaching again this morning with you. As we talked last week, like I said, about Enoch, and, and Noah is the great-great-grandson of Enoch. And I discovered something interesting as I was preparing for this message this morning. Did you know that there are only two individuals ever recorded in scriptures as having been said to have walked with God? Only two. And it's Enoch and Noah. They are the only two individuals the Bible says this specific quote. That's some pretty incredible stuff. And I think for most people who have even a limited knowledge of the Bible, their understanding of Noah comes entirely from the story of him building the ark. Whether you first heard the story as a kid in Sunday school, or perhaps for you, you became familiar with it by watching the 2007 comedy, Evan Almighty. I would guess that the story of Noah and the ark is, is likely one of the most widely known portions of the Old Testament in our modern culture. If you continue a bit further in the story of Noah in Genesis 6-9, to and you do find yourself reading of Noah's mishap moment of imbibing in a bit too much of the fruit of his labor from his vineyard. Well, that's, that's basically just Christianese for Noah got drunk. And while the legacy of building an ark is certainly what set him up to be worthy of his inclusion in the hall of faith, this other incident seems to leave a pretty big mark on his otherwise spotless record. Some commentary writers don't consider the actions of Noah's drunkenness really to be quite sinful on the grounds that their translation of this Hebrew word for wine, which is yagin, that it can be understood as intoxicating drink, the root of this word having this kind of essence and thought of fermentation. And this is the first occurrence of that word in the Hebrew Bible. Yes, Noah was a man of the soil, but the question that some commentary writers ask is, did he in fact realize that this would be the result of drinking the fruits of his labor? Could it be that this first occurrence of a man drinking this intoxicating drink to, to drink deeply of it, that Noah wasn't fully aware of what was going to happen? And while perhaps this could be an explanation, I'm inclined perhaps to think the other way reading the full story of Noah and recognizing some of his actions that followed this mishap moment. Perhaps some commentary writers are attempting to shift the focus away from this act that stains Noah's otherwise impeccable reputation. Or perhaps it was true. And it's a reminder that not even Noah was perfect, even though he walked faithfully with God a way of reminding us that there would come a man who would truly save his people and he himself would be perfect in, in every way. Jesus, the true and perfect Noah. I don't want to run too far ahead here, so let me bring us back to understanding who Noah was. And I think one of the best scriptures that helps us to shape our understanding of him comes out of Genesis 6 verse 9. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. 
you've got to admit, that's some pretty impressive character traits that are listed here in Genesis 6-9. Righteous, blameless, walked faithfully with God. You hear this, though, and you'd be quick to think that this man was a saint. But again, you need to recognize something this morning. He wasn't perfect. But what he was, what Noah was, and the scriptures attest to this, was he was faithful and obedient. Two things that were especially difficult given the culture that Noah found himself in. And that brings us to our second point this morning, this understanding of Noah's culture. In Genesis chapter 6, we, we begin to get a closer look into the culture, into what it was like during the time of Noah. We read this in Genesis 6, 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Reading about Noah in Genesis 6 to 9, we begin to understand a few key things about who this man was in, in the midst of this crazy culture. You see, Noah was unique in his generation. Noah stood out in, really in bold contrast to many of the other individuals that were surrounding him at that time. You see, Noah lived in this incredible time of violence, of, of unrestrained sexual promiscuity and pleasure. And I would wager a guess that it might not be that much different than our time that we currently find ourselves in. In the message paraphrased by Eugene Peterson, uh, Jesus is quoted as this. He says, The arrival of the Son of Man, Jesus, will take place in times like Noah's. Before the great flood, everyone was carrying on as usual, having a good time right up to the day Noah boarded the ark. They knew nothing until the flood hit and swept everything away. Essentially, what's going on in Noah's culture is just eating and drinking and gluttony and recklessness. It, it was basically party culture. Everyone was doing whatever they felt was right in their own eyes, and the world was a dark, dark place. I like how the message paraphrases this and says that everyone was, was carrying on as usual, having a good time. I mean, it's, it's probably a more polite way of saying this was hedonism at its finest. The culture around Noah lived for the moment. They lived for pleasure. They lived for themselves rather than living for the Lord. And this grieved the Lord. This grieved the Lord as he saw what his beautiful creation had become. Look at what it says in Genesis 6-5. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And then the second half and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. If you're an English scholar, you love kind of breaking down sentences, just look at that sentence. Look at the lines and look at the sentence structure here. Look at the words that are being used to describe Noah's culture. Every, only, continually evil you see, these were the times that Noah found himself in. 
So how would you describe the times that we find ourselves in this morning? Let me ask you a question. Would you say that our times are better or worse than the times that Noah found himself in? And maybe for me, I'm taking a bit of an optimistic view here, but I would venture that that we're doing better by the sounds of things, maybe compared to what was going on in the time of Noah. I mean, the Lord hasn't spoken to my son Noah yet to tell him a flood's coming a second time, so I think maybe we're okay. But I do realize that the culture that we are called to live out our faith in is certainly not one that welcomes us as followers of Jesus with welcome, open arms. But this sermon's intent is not to pick sides. It's not to pick left or right, conservative or liberal, liberal but, but rather to help us understand that we were never called to pick sides. What is asked of us today is not to pick sides, but to faithfully live out our faith in the culture that we find ourselves in. That's what we're asked to do, church. That's what's asked of us today, because that's what God was asking Noah. That Noah would be an example to us of what it looks like now, as much as it did then, to live faithfully. To live a life that is obedient to the Lord and that pleases him. And so in order to do that, let's look at our third point this morning and let's understand Noah's faith. Author R.T. Kendall in his book, Believing God, which takes an in-depth look at Hebrews 11, as I was mentioning on our Facebook Live devotionals, has been a book that Dale and I have been using as we craft these messages. He says this in one of his pages, Faith, then, is always unique. It is believing God without any prop that one may lean on, whether or not it has been leaned on before. Church, do you want to know why Noah's faith is so worthy of honor and recognition? Because Noah had no context. He had no precedent. He had no prop in order to lean on for what to expect in this circumstance. He had never experienced what was asked of him before. In fact, no one had. Now, some of you realize I grew up in Vancouver, and you know that in Vancouver it rains a lot. If God told me, Tyler, a great flood is coming, you know what? I'd probably believe him. I've seen enough rain for one lifetime. I mean, even my parents' backyard would occasionally flood when the rains came as a child. I mean, even here in Calgary, we're aware of what it looks like when the rains come, and many of you lived through the flood of 2013. I wasn't living here in Calgary yet at that time, but I remember driving through a few times, and I could see the devastation. I could see the floodwaters way above wherever there has been water before. We'd even believe God if he said a flood was coming. And God warns Noah of an impending flood. But what's unique about this church, and just think about the context of this for a moment, God warns Noah of an impending flood in an arid, dry desert. Please just think about that for a second. In an arid, dry land. But this is what the scriptures say of Noah. Genesis 6.8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And in Genesis 6.22, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. These scriptures are repeated throughout the account of Noah. One commentary writer remarks that Noah is the first to act in faith based upon a message of God. 
that Noah is the first one in the scriptures to act out in faith following what God has explicitly asked of him to do. R.T. Kendall again goes on in his book, Faith enables one to be different in any age. But when one lives in such a day as Noah's, there is an undoubted opportunity to stand tall. You see, what Noah did in the crush of his culture is he stood tall. But it was not simply because of his actions, because, yes, he did build an ark. But it wasn't just because of this that he is recorded, I believe, in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. No, look at what it says of Noah in 2 Peter 2.5. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. You see, 2 Peter 2.5 calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. And what is paramount to understanding Noah's faith is that it was not simply lived out through his actions, but it was also lived out through his words. Noah's character is unlike any other in the scriptures. I like what evangelist D.L. Moody said about character. He said, character is what you are in the dark. And there's no question that for Noah, there were many dark days. And while we don't know for certain, but it's likely that it wasn't a quick experience building this ark. There were years of labor. Years of no rain, and yet the promise of a coming flood. Years of ridicule at the hands of others who saw his work as he labored for days and years. Were there moments of doubt and despair? I mean, ultimately, we don't know. The scriptures don't say that. The Bible does say, though, that Noah did all that the Lord commanded him to do. But to think that there could have been at least a hint of doubt as he faithfully carried on this work that he was called to do, I don't know. I said this two years ago in my sermon on Noah, and I really believe it bears repeating again this morning. I said this last time, and I say it again. The crucible of our character development is not in the limelight, but rather in the twilight. Let me say it again for all of us to hear. The crucible of our character development is not in the limelight, but rather in the twilight. The character that Noah possessed was not earned during or after he built the ark. That character, I believe, was there long before. Righteousness, blamelessness, and walking faithfully with God does not equal perfection. But what is true, and I genuinely believe can be true of us as well, is that Noah did just as God commanded him. You see, Noah knew what God asked of him, and he did it. He set aside his own pride, his own agenda, his own ego, and he faithfully followed the Lord. And I truly believe that this can be true for you and I this morning, for you and I in the culture that we find ourselves in today. And as we bring this message to a close, let me I just share one more thought on The name of Noah. The name of Noah means comfort. It's one of the many reasons that led Charity and I uh, to choose this name for our firstborn son. We understand this from Genesis 5, 28 to 29. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son. He named him Noah. 
and said, He will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. Noah has become a comfort for his people in the labor and painful toil that was the result of the curse of Adam and Eve's sin. Yet his story ultimately points towards an even greater man who would come to save humankind from their sin and to comfort his people. As I said towards the beginning of this message, Jesus is the true and perfect Noah. Who, unlike Noah, doesn't just deliver his family from the flood, but rather delivers all of humankind from death and eternal separation from God. Who enacts an even greater story of rescue and deliverance. This isn't simply an ark in the flood. This is death on a cross as our substitute for the salvation of not just one family, but all of humanity who puts their trust and hope in Jesus, who calls on him as Lord and Savior, who walks faithfully all the days of their lives. This is what the story of Noah teaches us. This is what the story of Noah helps us to understand how do we live out our faith in the crush of culture to walk faithfully as Noah did, to walk obediently as Noah did? This is what the call is on our lives, church. Let me pray for us as we close this morning. Jesus, thank you that you are the true and perfect Noah, that you came to this earth not just to save one family, but to save the world to save humankind from the calamity of our sin and our rebellion. God, thank you that you sent your son, that we look upon his life as the perfect example of who to follow. We thank you that Noah walked with you, that he lived obediently and followed you faithfully. May the same be said of us, Lord, in this time. I pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.